my friend, you have found the Functioning Hot Mess Podcast. I'm your host, Tanya Murray, life coach and author. I started this show to share life lessons and hot mess moments along with a few shenanigans to let you know you're not alone in this roller coaster of life. Each week, you'll get a solo episode or an interview to help you improve your self-confidence, create healthy relationships, or become a better parent. If you love what you hear, hit subscribe and I'll automatically show up in your downloads each and every week. All right, let's get on with the show. Hey guys, today my guest is none other than Sonia Frontera. She's a divorce lawyer with a heart. Like many of us, she's the survivor of a toxic marriage. She's now happily remarried, so proof that there's hope out there. She integrates the wisdom that she has acquired through her personal journey and her professional experience as a divorce attorney. She also uses lessons of the world's leading transformational teachers, and she translates it all into guidance that's insightful and practical. She's just great. You're going to love this conversation. Now, Sonia is also the best-selling author of Relationship Solutions, Effective Strategies to Heal Your Heart and Create the Happiness You Deserve, and get this, are you listening? I love the title of this next book, Solve the Divorce Dilemma. Do you keep your husband or do you post him on Craigslist? I mean, the minute I read the titles of her book, I'm like, oh, I have to talk to her. So I can't wait for you to catch this conversation that we had. You're going to love it. I know she's a good fit for you. Do me a favor and bear with me a little bit. When she and I did this recording, we had massive lags. Zoom was not being my friend. I don't think I'm going to use that platform ever again, but I did the best I could to kind of clean this up, but just know there's a few errors in here, so just roll with it and get the content for what it is. All right, let's get into this. Sonia, thank you so much for being my guest on the Functioning Hot Mess podcast. I'm super excited that you're here. Thank Um, you so much for having me. Yeah, you bet. This is great. So before we get rolling with this, tell us a little bit about who you are and how you got into this. Okay. Well, I am a practicing attorney. I have been in practice for 26 years. And uh, currently, I am doing a practice in immigration and family law. And I am doing now I'm pivoting towards what I absolutely love and what is my passion, which is empowering others and help them live their best lives through the years. Uh, Besides my law practice, I have also done empowerment training and have been an advocate for domestic violence survivors as a speaker and trainer and a facilitator of workshops. And the reason I got into this, this is an issue that hits very close to home. When I was 24 years old, I got married. I was very young. And within 24 hours of the wedding, I realized that I had married a psychologically abusive man And it took me seven years almost to be able to free myself from from this situation because of reasons of of cultural being conservative as well as religion and family, family opposition. So I really do not want other people to struggle with what I struggled myself. And I would like to share with others the wisdom I have acquired during this journey so that they can create the lives they deserve and the joy they deserve. So, you know, you mentioned that within such a short time, you realized that 
you had married a psychologically abusive man. Tell us a little bit about that. Well, that was that was a great surprise for me. When we were on the plane on our way to Mexico, all of a sudden he just turns to me and says, from now on, everything is going to change. And he became verbally abusive to me and started saying very vicious things about me, about my family. And I was in complete shock and disbelief. And I had no idea what was going on or where to go from there. So that's how I discovered very quickly, which in a way, it's a blessing because I knew from the get-go that I was in a bad situation I needed to do something about, whereas many other people... It's um, like your partner's chipping away little by little, doing little things without you realizing that what started out as a happy relationship is turning into something very toxic and possibly dangerous. Yeah, absolutely. And I think a lot of people find themselves in that situation because, you know, the honeymoon phase wears off sometimes so quickly and sometimes even in a healthy relationship too. But when it's in an unhealthy relationship, it adds a layer, like an extra weight on your shoulders of what do I do now? Absolutely. So now do you work with people in this field who've kind of found themselves in that position? Uh, Yes, I like to work with women who find themselves in toxic situations. I do outreach to domestic violence organizations. I do book discussions of my books as well. And um, right now, because of COVID, things are a little bit slow, but I am very, very excited for the future once the restrictions are lifted. And I can start meeting in person with women. This is something I enjoy. But in the meantime, it's very satisfying when I hear from women who feel empowered after having connected with me and, and learning from my experiences. It is it's just wonderful. So, you know, because you are a divorce lawyer and you do work with people in this, what are some of the common themes that you see that arise? You know what? I think the most common theme for me is women who are in middle age, many of them in their 60s, who realize after many years of marriage that the relationship they have had has been unhealthy for quite some time. And once their children are out of their homes, once they're grown up, they feel like they no longer have to remain in this sort of situation. Plus, surprisingly, at times, it's even their own children who say, Mom, you don't have to put up with this. This is not right. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I think a lot of times we hear women, especially saying we're going to stay in this for the kids. And yet we're forgetting that the kids are seeing everything that's going on. Absolutely. Children notice everything and it has a terrible impact on their lives and on their relationships. Sometimes if they're very young, they think this might have something to do with them, that they are at fault for what's going on between mom and dad. So even though people think it's healthy for children to have both parents, if the parents don't get along, it doesn't do them any favors to stay together. Mm -hmm. I agree. I have seen that a, a lot as well. So one comment that you made kind of made me perk up a little bit. So you mentioned working with women middle ages or in their 60s, and they realize after years of being married that they're in an unhealthy marriage. I love that word realize because, you know, sometimes from the outside looking in, we know people or we see people who are in unhealthy relationships and it seems so clear on the outside. So when you're in that relationship And maybe you're missing some of that clarity. Like, how do you talk people through that? How do you work with them in that spot? How could they kind of realize that earlier? I know that was a whole bunch of questions all in one. Well, it's, it's a matter of developing awareness. Very often, we just go through life on autopilot, not realizing or paying attention to what's really happening around us. And for instance, 
when you get married, especially people who might be from, from an older generation where certain behaviors were more acceptable. And in general, society determines or tells us what is supposed to be acceptable in a relationship and what it's not. So if you grow up in an environment where it is okay for spouses to be verbally abusive or to demean you, and you think that's part of, of the package of marriage, you may come to accept it as, as something normal. Or also when things happen gradually, it makes it a lot harder to detect because it's, you know, it starts with a little look and it might move to a, 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 like a snipe comment or It might move to raising the voice until it gets to something that is more serious and more offensive. And if you're in the midst of it, you may not pick up on it, but somebody looking from the outside might see it and not be comfortable telling you of what they see. Mm -hmm. I agree. It's, it's really difficult. And we have a place of, well, it's not my business or even a belief that if I say something to them, they're not going to listen to me or do anything about it. So outside looking in, even if we see it, a lot of times we don't share what we see, but I think that can be really beneficial. I know for me, you know, it was when I was going through a really rough divorce that some of those people came to me and said, you know, we've been watching this for years. And I was like, oh, thank you that someone saw this, you know? Um, how do you recommend people develop awareness? I think awareness is key. And I, I give different exercises that you can use to develop awareness and turn it into something that you can do with second nature. And uh, I call this process active awareness. And when you develop active awareness, after it becomes second nature, you can apply it to every area of your life and uh, relationships in particular. And one of the exercises I recommend is called the 60-60-30 snap. And by that, I mean, um, notice every 60 seconds, I'm sorry, every 60 minutes, every hour, set an alarm to go off and just, you know, ring and you stop what you're doing for 60 seconds and you, you think, okay, where am I? What am I thinking? Where's this thought coming from? And if it's something negative, what can I do to replace this? And then you return to the present moment. And for example, let's say you are on the highway and all of a sudden, you know, the alarm goes off and you notice that, that instead of watching the road, you are having a fight with your spouse in your head. And then you can ask yourself, wait a minute, I am driving. I am not with my spouse right now. This is, I'm hashing out an argument that I already had or one that I expect to have when I get home. So then you return to the present moment and say, am I safe? Am I having this argument? Is this something that I need to be having this moment? And then you can return to yourself and have some peace. No, I choose peace for myself. And um, I recommend using something like your phone or, or um, a stopwatch to do that every, every, 60, every 60 minutes, because that way you develop a habit, a habit of stopping and noticing what you're doing. And it's very helpful, not only, you know, going throughout the day, but as you progress, in doing this for 30 days or more, you get into the habit of noticing when you're going under that spell. Uh, for instance, if you find yourself in a difficult situation with your spouse or you're about to go 
go into an argument, you can step back instead of fire back and say, wait a minute, here I am again, telling myself all these stories. If I return to the present moment and listen to the conversation, listen to what's really going on, you stopped yourself from engaging in reactive actions that you could possibly regret later. Yeah, I absolutely love that. And I love bringing yourself back into that present moment. I actually could have used this like last week because I was, I was doing exactly what you just described. Like, I think you might've been in my car with me and I was driving and I was arguing with someone in my head and it took me, I had to turn the music up. I had to kind of really do a lot to refocus and get out of that because my brain kind of defaulted to that. I think it's so easy to fall into that, that trap. We all do it. Mm-hmm. But this is a really great tool that can be applied right then in that moment, because I did recognize that I was doing that. So other people can do that. And now they have a tool of what to do next. And it's great because that way you develop that awareness in the moment and you train yourself to do it. And sometimes, and don't, don't be discouraged because sometimes you fall in the trap and then you say, oh my God, I did it again. But that's great. Don't beat yourself up because next time you're going to catch yourself earlier and it will come to a point where you won't even need to go through the, all that reactivity. You will learn to be more serene as you go along through life and the different things that would normally trigger you. That's great. Okay. So Sonia, (laughs) one other thing that I thought of with all of that is in your book, you talk about putting your crazy thoughts on trial. So one quote that I wanted to share was you share an exercise to stop obsessive thinking. And I loved that because I hadn't heard it before. And that's really what you just gave us was that awareness piece. Is that right? Uh, Yes, that's a second exercise. Many of us complain that we have this avalanche of crazy thoughts and we we can't stop them. And different teachers teach you different techniques on how to do it. And those didn't really work for me. So I created this technique based on my days as a trial attorney. And when you're a trial attorney and your adversary is saying, eliciting evidence that is not favorable to you or that is is, uh, improper, you say objection. And you see that on TV and the movies all the time. Mm -hmm. And you do that. So the bad evidence doesn't get in the record. And by applying this to your crazy thinking, you are preventing the negativity to get into your consciousness. For example, if you are um, thinking, let's say somebody said something to you or somebody ignored you, you start creating a narrative of like, oh my God, she doesn't like me. She thinks I'm stupid. She thinks I'm not good enough. And you still, you start going on and on and creating these these stories around an event that could be perfectly innocent, you stop and say, objection. It's repetitive. This is argumentative. These are, you're assuming facts, not in evidence. And start noticing what you are doing when you're, when you're entering into this crazy narrative so that you can stop yourself and shift into another narrative that it's like, okay, um, I have no proof that this is exactly what's happening in this in this situation. I am going to step back and I'm going to allow come to the present moment and and uh, be open to other ways of understanding what's going on, gaining some clarity. So when you're dealing with the situation, you can deal with it from a place of serenity. Yeah, that's so great. I love that because that was not something that I had ever really considered. You know, the way that you talked about it in your book and bringing it out in that trial setting You know, it really, as I was reading your book, I was able to put myself in law and order and I'm seeing this trial play out. And I really was like, yeah, 
Like, why are we believing those things with That's no right. Evidence? We all do it. Mm-hmm. Yeah, we do. So I have another question for you. You've got, you talk about in your book a little bit about if your marriage does start to break down, could it be a blessing in disguise? What do you mean by that? Well, and talking about narratives, we think that our relationships, marriages are supposed to be our ticket to happiness. And once you get married, it's all rainbow and unicorns. And you create that narrative that this marriage is is going to be the path that is going to lead to my happiness. And when things start breaking down, you resist it. You do everything you can to, to change that narrative to know this is going to work out. I cannot be happy with anyone else. Um, I married this person for life. And if this marriage ends, I will never be happy again. So we torture ourselves with those those thoughts and those feelings when in reality, first of all, you should do the best you can to make your marriage work. But you have to understand sometimes relationships cannot be salvaged. And in that case, instead of beating yourself up, instead of thinking your marriage failed or that you personally are a failure, you are better served by reframing it and and thinking, okay, this relationship uh, was in my life for a reason. My spouse was in my life for a reason. And I need to examine what have I gained from this relationship? What have I learned? And think that perhaps this relationship is not the road to happiness that I envisioned, but just a detour on the road to happiness, a step in my personal evolution so that I can grow and bring all this wisdom into the rest of my life and possibly a new relationship. And when you reframe it that way, it takes a lot of the the edge of the pain that you're feeling when your marriage ends. Yeah, because I think that that is a really tough spot. I think for the most part, we get into this for the long haul. I mean, no one well, okay, maybe some people, but most people aren't getting into a marriage waiting for it to end. Like they are, <laughs> you know, they're anticipating this to last forever. And it is, it's a mind shift. It's a difficult spot to be in. How do you help people understand when it's time to fight for a marriage and when it's time to dart for the door? I, I think we all need to take emotional inventory and understand how we got into this relationship, use active awareness to understand what were the messages and the narratives, whether from our families or society or our inner chatter, and understand how we ended up in this marriage. And understand, and and by that, uh, I mean, asking yourself some questions. In my book, I guide my readers, and I do the same on retreats. I guide people through a a personal journey of self-discovery, asking themselves these important questions questions and giving some thought to why they came into this marriage, what keeps them in the marriage, what expectations they had about this marriage. And just start examining how you how you and your spouse interact. And that way you can tell, well, you know, our interactions are perhaps uh, not cordial, but they could be more cordial. Uh, What are the things that are good about this marriage? What are the things that are bad about this marriage and how important they are to you? Because that's one of the things that is important. Very often our partners do things that are uh, not so nice. Is it what they do most of the time? You need to weigh it and find out, you know, is this person generally mean to me or is this something that they might do only when they're stressed? It's occasional 
or um, do they, they do they do nice things? What things are important to me, and how often are they played out? Because sometimes our spouses are generally good and compatible, and we may have some little bumps in their relationship. And you need to figure out: Are these things that can be corrected? Is my spouse up to the task? And I think it's really important to involve your spouse in this conversation sometimes, because very often your spouses don't realize that they're engaging in behaviors that may be hurtful. And you also need to factor in if you are doing things that might be offensive to your partner without even realizing it. And when you factor in all these things, you can make a more informed decision. Is this a relationship that can be salvaged or is this a relationship that needs to be let go? And another important factor in this equation is, is my partner willing and able to join forces with me to make this marriage work out? Because if your partner is not it's never going to happen. Oh, yes. I love that because so many times we, we, we're hoping, we're waiting, we're expecting, we think that it's just going to happen. But if they're not committed and willing, then it's not going to change. That's right. And sometimes I think one thing that is kind of a, almost a trick <laughs> is we see them take a few steps. You know, it's like they, they throw a few breadcrumbs. There's here, look, I'm trying, I'm going to go to counseling. I'm going to do this, that, or the other. And it sets us up from a place of, oh, look, they're making progress. They're doing something about it. What do you think when you have situations like that? Do you know, how do you help people identify if that's sincere and they're really going to do the work? Or if they're just throwing you a bone to get you off their back for a minute? That's a very good question because it happens a lot. And it happened to me in my marriage. Um, I asked my ex for a divorce and he said, let's work things out. And I did, I wanted to avoid the possibility of divorce regret, which is something that happens to 50% of divorced people. And he, he was nice for about a year. And then I realized this is really not sustainable. You're going to start those old habits creeping in. So you need to use active awareness. You need to be on the lookout. Are these, uh, are these behaviors starting all over again? And um, if they are, you realize that this person is not going to change. And you should also give yourself a period to make things work. You, you can go to counseling and say, hey, we have, let's give ourselves six months and see where we are in six months. And if things haven't worked out, then we need to, you know, figure out whether or not it's time to move on and, and see, see where, where it goes. Um, but don't put yourself in denial because very often we want relationships to work so much that we just close our eyes to what's really happening. So that's why it's so important to be aware and be paying attention to all these behaviors and when they are taking place. Is your spouse just being now nice to you when there's people around? And then when, when, the, when the party is over, um, they start being mean to you. You know, these are the little things that you need to pay attention to. Is this something that my partner is doing only on special occasions? If your partner is being mean and you respond with kindness, do they respond in kind or do they dismiss uh, your good intentions? So these are all the little, the little things you need to be noticing. And that's why it's really important, I think, to keep a journal. Um, in my books, I have a series of reflections. I, I recommend that people uh, write them out. Um, not just give things thought, but write them out and check back on them periodically so they, they can really measure their progress. Yeah, I absolutely love that because one of my biggest aha moments was 
um, I had a friend when I was going through my divorce, I had a friend who was also going through one and she actually even lived in a different country and we were emailing back and forth and I had documented something, you know, I had just emailed her out of frustration and told her about what happened last night, you know, and she responded back and her response kind of jarred me. It was actually a lot of alarm in her response. And I immediately thought, oh, I misrepresented, I overstated, I, you know, I, I blew things out of proportion. And I went back and read my original email and it was just the facts. It was exactly what had happened. And it really got me thinking. And so I love this about the journaling and journaling the reflections and what's going on, because I think sometimes once the adrenaline kind of goes down from a fight, it's, or, an, or a situation, so does our recollection. Have you seen that in your practice as well? Does that seem true to you? Yes, we tend to downplay things like that and think it's our imagination. And if there was nobody else present, then of course you don't have a second pair of eyes to validate what you observed. So it's really important to to write things down as as soon as you can and uh, keep your reflections in a safe place as well, because you don't want your spouse uh, reading, uh, reading them and perhaps uh, picking up on them and uh, using them against you. So I, I agree with you that that was really uh, genius on your part to write it on an email and to read it again, because when we see things again after after the dust has settled, we can gain some clarity. Absolutely, and you just said something that was really key, which is there's not usually another person there witnessing except the, your partner. So a lot of times, then they turn that on you and say that you remembered it wrong or you're making things up, something like that, because it's not you know that's what toxic people do. So when you have that written down of exactly what happened, you can go back to to that and be like, no, that is what happened. That was what was said. I love it. Yeah. And it's really important, especially if uh, things are escalating. And at some point you might have to go to the police, keeping a journal keeping a log of all the incidents and the things have happened with their dates. And if there is any kind of physical evidence for, for example, property being destroyed or injuries, it's really good to document that because your recollection might be impaired down the road and you might need to provide that evidence uh, for, for the judicial system to make a decision in your situation. Yeah. Since we're going that direction a little bit, let's talk about safety. I know you cover that in your book. Share, share a little bit about that. Um, in toxic situations, very often, I would say most of the time, these situations do not resolve themselves. And like I said earlier, they start gradually and they keep getting worse over time. And there might come a time when you find yourself in a situation where you may need to flee for your life. And the time that you end a, a toxic relationship, an abusive relationship is the most dangerous. And you need to take all the precautions you can to make sure that your, your abuser does not harm you and possibly kill you. Uh, very often, you see instances where women are killed by their partners as they were ending their relationship. Um, one thing that is, is very important uh, that I want to point out is that toxic relationships can be so subtle that you may not realize you find themselves in them. And one of the, the most uh, critical aspects is isolation. An abusive partner is going to want to isolate you from your friends and family. 
So you're not going to have that support system that will be there for you to uh, give you shelter or encourage you. Another thing they do is they pretend to be the nice guys when they're in front of your friends and family and uh, do all their misdeeds in private. So it looks like you might be the cranky one uh, or that you might be exaggerating because they are so loving in public. So you need to learn to recognize those signs and find out if you're in an abusive situation and get help. Um, Your family and friends, well-meaning as they may be, may not be able to understand and the signs. You may not recognize the signs. I know I didn't. I thought the behaviors were wrong that my husband inflicted on me. But when I when I started uh, training for an internship in the domestic violence unit of the court, I understand. I, I, I got to understand that these patterns were actually uh, typical of an abusive situation. So when you are in doubt, educate yourself. I have uh, some information about that in my book. But you can also find it uh, online through the National Domestic Violence Hotline and try to ascertain if you find yourself in an abusive relationship. And if you are, seek help. Go to uh, your local domestic violence association and speak to a counselor, a mental health professional. And the most important thing, as far as I'm concerned, is empowering yourself. Uh, Even if you're not in, in a violent situation, start empowering yourself so that you can prepare for the next step as you end the relationship. Because very often we feel trapped by, by things like financial, uh, financial dependence on our spouses, or uh, because we have children and we have no place to go, or we have no exit strategy get help so you can make a gracious exit and a safe one as well. Yes, absolutely. You are totally speaking my language. I, I love this. Thank you so much for that. So some of what I'm hearing with all of this kind of an overall theme is that this is really an inside job. Like this is working on us. And I think that's important because oftentimes we think, well, our marriage would be fine or our life would be better if he would just stop this or stop drinking or whatever the issue may be. And while that is partially true, we can't control other people's behaviors. We can't make someone else change. And so recognizing that, like what you just said, educate yourself, empower yourself. But really that's what we're talking about is that inside job working on you, the self-awareness, the emotional inventory, all of these different things help. They are what empower individuals. Is that right? That's correct. I I think you nailed it. Not only it's an inside job, one, one of the things that you need to pay attention to is the attachments. You just mentioned how if, if he changed, if uh, he stopped drinking, things like that. We get attached to the possibility, those good behaviors that we experienced, like you said before, uh, when they're tr- trying to reconcile and you get attached to the person your spouse is capable of being. And you keep uh, hanging on to the wish that things will be that way when in fact they're not sustainable. So it's really key to let go of those attachments to what could be if that does not fall in the realm of possibility so that you can be free. So that's why awareness is so key because then you really know that this person is not the partner you deserve and that you can start creating that partnership with yourself to be the person that deserves all this love and start empowering yourself so that you can be your best self and bring it into another relationship in the future if you so choose. 
Yes, I love that. Okay, one thing you mentioned earlier, I'd never heard of before, and that was divorce regret. Like, I was like, that's a thing because I haven't had that. (laughs) So tell us more about what that is and what do you do about it? Funny, because I heard it when I was looking to leave my ex-husband. And uh, for some reason, I came across the statistic that, and this was many years ago, about 50% of people who divorced regretted it. And they wish that they had stayed in their marriages and worked hard to save it. And I didn't want to find myself in that situation. So I did everything I could. uh, And I wanted to make sure that I did everything I could and that I honored my vows before I called it quits. Because very often people, um, if if, if their marriage doesn't fit their, the narrative, they expected for themselves, if, if their spouse is not exactly how they want them to be, it's like, okay, I'm out of here. So divorce regret is a very real thing. And more recent statistics, um, put it at 32 to 50% with women being the ones who regret their leaving their marriages the least. But it's, it's, uh, you don't want to find yourself after you end your marriage, realizing that, you know, maybe if I had done things differently, maybe if we had had this important conversation, maybe if we tried again. So I highly recommend just give it your best shot, an honest shot, not die trying, but give it a, a, a good shot. And then you can really move in freedom because to the degree that you have divorce regret, you might not be able to get on with your life and rebuild it as healthy as if you had you know, been convinced that you are on the right track. Yeah. You know, I really feel like, again, this is where your journal documentation would come into really into play because like we were saying earlier, we downplay things. So even after, as you're feeling some of that divorce regret and I should have tried this or I should have done that. And then to be able to look back and say, but would that have helped? And maybe, but I think you can do that in the moment too and say, if I changed things up, if I approach things differently, would it make a difference? I love that because what you're saying is, yes, try, do all those things, try something new. So when you have that journal and you have that documentation and you can actually go back and reflect on it and say, okay, I have tried this. This was the result. It didn't work. Now I'll try that. And you can really go back and have that evidence that you have tried so much. And then that might even help alleviate some of that divorce regret because you know that you did everything you could. Absolutely. That is, that is a really excellent point. Um, and, and you need that reassurance because, you know, let's, let's face it when we are going through divorce and we are, we are separated, we may start romanticizing. Uh, let's say you find yourself alone on a Friday night eating, eating a pepperidge farm cake. And it's like, Oh my God, you know, if I were with my ex, I would not be here alone. And then you might start romanticizing. It's like, oh, he used to bring me flowers, or we used to have so much fun. If you have your your journal, you can read over it when you are at those moments of weakness and, and realize, oh my God, no, I am out of this situation because it was unhealthy and I deserve better and I can get through this. Mm-hmm. Are there a lot of people that you work with that remain bitter after their marriages break down? Some people remain bitter for the rest of their lives. And I have seen people who uh, spend the rest of their divorced lives being attached to their spouses, taking them to court, spying on them, uh, disparaging them with the children. And uh, I, that's what I call being divorced to your spouse as opposed to from your spouse. 
Mm. And that is a very toxic dynamic because you can't rebuild your life unless you start with a clean slate. You need to let go of all those attachments and negativity and self-blame as well. Uh, because very often we do things we're not proud of. And we, uh, unbeknownst to us, we, we don't act from, from a place of uh, of being evil or, or ill intentions all the time. Sometimes we do things that we regret and we need to be compassionate with ourselves and let them go. And only when you get to that point where you bless the relationship and you release it and you release your partner with love, then and only then can you rebuild your life in a healthy way. And then and only then can you start over in a new relationship that is healthy and potentially happy. Yeah. I. I really think that's important. And what you just said nailed it because you deserve, everyone deserves to have a happy relationship. But sometimes we prevent that by being stuck on the past one. And, you know, to be able to work through some of that so that when you start the next relationship, you've been able, you don't have to bring that with you into that new relationship. Absolutely. Um, I think you've made a really good point. And one thing that I highly recommend to anyone who's been through a breakup, instead of trying to recouple quickly, uh, don't try to numb yourself with other relationships or with distractions. Take that time to rediscover yourself. Learn what makes you happy. Engage in those activities that Perhaps you gave up in order to be in a relationship. Like uh, very often uh, we give up uh, our, our aspirations or uh, friendships to make room for more time with your parent, your, uh, your uh, partner's family and friends. Take the time after the breakup to rediscover your passions. What makes you tick? What makes you happy? Learn new things and learn to enjoy your own company. And when you uplift yourself to that point where you are happy with who you are, that wonderful and fulfilled person is someone you can bring onto the next, the next relationship. And you can build a new relationship from a place of strength and from a place of true love because loving yourself is the basis for loving anyone else. Yeah, the way you just described that was very healthy. Like I felt the energy shift. And I love that because so many times we go into the next chapter of our life feeling that we have this failed marriage and that that basically is tattooed on our forehead. How can people generate feelings of success while they're they're recovering from this and and getting away from that failed marriage myth? You have to let go of that label. It is a myth. It is something that society tells us. I, I abhor that, that term, failed marriage. The fact that you are divorced does not make you a failure. It just makes you and your ex incompatible. And you need to let go of that and start discovering who you are. And instead of beating yourself up for what you could not keep in that relationship, you have to start from this moment creating uh, what you want to accomplish, what makes you happy, what makes you feel fulfilled. And then you are a success. You start generating those feelings, not, not necessarily after your divorce. You don't wait until your divorce is over. You start doing it right now in this moment and use active awareness to catch yourself when you're feeling bad about yourself, when you're thinking you're a failure. And in those moments, you replace those 
thoughts of failure with thoughts of possibility, anticipation, and expectation that things will get better. And you may not feel like that is possible at the time, but it is. And look look to people who have um, conquered uh, those negative situations. I can tell you from my personal experience that I was very attached to the narrative of being married to the love of my life and that there would that there was no possibility I could be happy with someone else. But right now, fast forward, I am so much happier and I am glad that relationship ended. And if I had known at that time that I would be as happy as I am today in 2021, I would have spared myself from much grief and much suffering in that marriage. And I would have let it go much sooner because I hung on to it too long. And I know from a lot of the people I work with, that they they overstay their relationships way past their expiration dates. Mm. Oh, I love that expiration date. That is so fitting. Yeah, because I think you're right. I think we get stuck to, and we do it to ourselves in that situation. Like, you know, even though we feel outside pressure, we feel pressure from our significant other, all of that stuff is going on. We are the ones who ultimately get to decide that, you know, I'm not doing this anymore. And that's okay. And it's empowering. Yeah. Okay. So we've been talking a lot about the toxic relationships and marriages. What is the secret sauce to happiness in relationships? Let's switch this up a little bit. Yeah, let's, let's, let's uh, switch happy now. Uh, (laughs) To be happy in a relationship, you need to acknowledge that you deserve to be happy. That's the most important thing. And that you are responsible for your own happiness, not your spouse. We think that our spouses are meant to make us happy. My my husband doesn't make me happy or I don't make my husband happy. No, you are responsible for your own happiness and nobody else's. And nobody is charged with making you happy. And by that same token, you can create the happiness any way you want. It's up to you. Like you said, it's an inside job. Creating your happiness is yours and yours alone to do. And and that's why it's so important to engage in self-reflection and understand what are the things that make us happy and pay attention to what are the blocks to our happiness and start dissolving them and chipping away at them one at a time. And when you're happy with yourself, you can be happy in a relationship. You don't have that dependence on the other person for your entertainment and comfort and and, uh, just uh, supporting you or anything. It's it's just pretty much an inside job that no one can do for you. It's very liberating. Yeah, absolutely. And I think there's a ripple effect to that too. When you start working on yourself, your inside job, your finding your happiness in those things, I truly believe that there is a side effect to that, especially in a healthy relationship, they will start to pick up that or in a positive relationship, even if you're working to fix things, if this is the right person, they pick that up, they pick up those positive changes. And you can even start to see that affecting them. And you can see their, you know, personal change of towards more positivity as well. Absolutely. It's like John Gray says, when you don't do nice things for your partner, your partner is going to want to do more nice things for you. So when you're in that place of happiness, it's going to extend to the other person. Nobody wants to be with people who are angry or complaining or sad. 
So when you work on yourself and you uplift your spirits, the person next to you is going to benefit from it. And that's why empowering yourself is so important. And very often we mistake self-empowerment with um, being conceited or conceited or vain or wanting to dominate others. An empowered person is someone who is comfortable in his or her own skin. And it's a delight to be around. It's somebody who has something to contribute to any relationship and to the world. Yes, thank you. I love it. Well, Sonia, you have a couple of books. Will you tell us a little bit about your books and where people can find them? Sure. My first book is entitled Solve the Divorce Dilemma. Do you keep your husband or do you post him on Craigslist? I wrote this book for women who, like me, found themselves in unhappy relationships and needed help getting out. Because for me, getting out was the hardest part and making that divorce decision and being comfortable with it. And uh, back then when I was going through unhappiness in my marriage, there was very little uh, on the subject. So I decided fast forward that I wanted to do for others. I wanted to write the book I wish had existed and that I needed when I was at the lowest point in my life. And uh, this book, uh, even though it's for women, got the attention of men. And they started reading the book and uh, saying to me, this is good stuff, but it's biased towards women. What about the guys? So I decided to write uh, relationship solutions, effective strategies to heal your heart and create the happiness you deserve. And that book is gender neutral and it can be used by men or women or even couples. And it also guides the reader through the set of reflections so they can ascertain whether or not uh, their relation, first of all, how they ended up in an unhappy relationship, how, uh, what are the traps that keep them in the relationship, whether or not the relationship can be saved. And if it can, or it can't, they can just empower themselves to create lives they love. Yeah. And, you know, so having read that one, I, one thing I absolutely love about this that I want to make sure the readers know is that it's fun. It's not heavy. It's light. There's some sass in there. It's, easy to read. It's fun to read. Definitely worth picking up. Thanks. You know, it was my intention. You see, when you are in that situation, you need to lighten up. You're not happy. You need to find a little joy. And that's what I wanted to do for my readers. Make them understand that they deserve to be happy and that they can create that happiness. Yeah, it definitely comes through in the pages. You did a really great job with that. Thank you. So how can they connect with you if they want to learn more or find you online? The best way to connect with me is by visiting my website, www.soniafrontera.com. That's www.soniafrontera.com. And on my website, you will find links to connect with me on social media, as well as my email address. You can contact me. I love to hear from readers and I can answer questions that you might have. And also on my website, you can learn more about my books and where you can buy them. They're available on Amazon Barnes and Noble, uh, Walmart, Target, and anywhere where online books are sold. Awesome. And just so listeners know, I will have the links to all of that she just mentioned in the show notes. So it'll be simply just click and you can get right to it. All right, Sonia, is there anything else you want the listeners to hear before we wrap up? I want to remind all the listeners that they deserve to be happy and that they should chase after that happiness they deserve because only them can create it. Yes. I love that. I love seeing the shift in people when they go from, you know, where many of us currently are to having that little perspective shift of, I deserve this. I love it. 
That's right. We all deserve to be happy. And we are conditioned to think that we're not, that life is supposed to be difficult, but it's not. It's an adventure that we all deserve to take and enjoy along the ride. Yes. And not take so seriously, as you said. (laughs) All right. Well, thank you so much again for being on the Functioning Hot Mess podcast. Thank you so much for having me. I really enjoyed our conversation. Wasn't that great? Oh, I just knew you guys would love her. I know you're going to love the information that she has in her books. I'm definitely going to recommend that you check them out. Again, her website is Sonia Frontera, S-O-N-I-A-F-R-O-N-T-E-R-A.com. She's got her books there, blog there, lots of great information. Now, whether or not this information specifically applies to you or to someone that you know, you know this can be a resource because even if it's not you that we're speaking to today, you've got a friend or a family member who really needs this information and you have the ability now to present them with a book or a podcast to listen to. So for sure, go to her website, check her out, follow her on social media. You will absolutely love her the more you get to know her. So thank you again for being here and for sticking through this podcast with us. And I will be back in your downloads next week. (music) 